welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, April 30th, 2017, on the basis of Acts 2, verses 32 through 41. You are forgiven. Let me try that again. You are forgiven. Nothing? Really? Nobody jumped out of their chair in excitement? Nobody broke down in tears of joy? Nobody passed out from the sheer ecstasy of hearing that wonderful news? No, I I get it. I wasn't really expecting any of those things to happen. And in fact, it's a good opportunity to remember exactly what we saw from God's word last week, that when it comes to our forgiveness, what really matters most is the cold hard facts. The objective truth of what Jesus did and what that means, that matters far more than our subjective experience of it or emotional reaction to it. And yet I think it's fair to say that few words in the English language are undervalued and underappreciated as much as those three. You are forgiven. Why is that so important? Well, let's imagine that you you struggle with guilt and regret. You constantly feel as though you're carrying this burden from the bad decisions you've made and the people that you've hurt. You constantly feel inadequate. You constantly feel like a failure. What's the solution to all of that? It's not to find more reasons to love yourself. It's not to tell yourself that nobody's perfect and everybody makes mistakes. No, it's simply to know You are forgiven. Say you struggle with bitterness and resentment. You really hold on to grudges. You have a hard time letting anything go. What's the solution to that? Well, the Bible tells us that the number one key to being a forgiving person is to know that you are forgiven. Say you struggle with a particular temptation. There's a behavior that you know hurts yourself, you know that it hurts other people, and yet you keep doing it over and over and over again. You can't seem to stop it. What's the solution to that? Well, first and foremost, it's not to just summon up more willpower. It's not to visit the self-help aisle at the bookstore or watch more episodes of Dr. Phil. No, it's simply to know that you are forgiven. One more. Topic that has been on the minds and in the conversations of a lot of people in recent week has been suicide. In part because there is a new Netflix series that is all about a a teen suicide that's gotten a lot of attention and a lot of controversy. And also in part because of what happened with a man named Aaron Hernandez a couple weeks ago. Aaron Hernandez is a former NFL football player who in 2015 was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without parole. A couple weeks back, he ended his own life in his prison cell. But what makes the case of Aaron Hernandez so puzzling and inexplicable to a lot of people is that just before he did that, he was actually acquitted in a second set of murder charges. And when that happened, a lot of people speculated that he would then be able to appeal the first conviction and who knows, maybe have the sentence reduced maybe even have the conviction overturned. Who knows what would have happened now? We'll, we'll never find out. 
Now, I mentioned that not at all to suggest that the solution to someone who is deeply depressed or even suicidal is ever simple or easy. But here's my question. What if, rather than simply having one acquittal but that other first conviction still remaining, what if something really drastic had happened to Aaron Hernandez? What if all of the charges were suddenly dropped? What if his first conviction had been overturned? What if the sentence had been completely lifted and the door to that prison cell slid open and he was told that he was a free man? No strings attached, no questions asked. Do you think that maybe his story would have turned out differently? I'm not saying that's what should have happened. I'm simply saying that because that's exactly what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is simply God's decree that the sentence that we were under was far greater than life in prison. It was eternity in hell. And yet forgiveness is God's decree that the charges have been dropped, the sentence has been lifted, that our prison cell has in fact flung open and we are free to go. You think that maybe, just maybe, knowing that, cherishing that, holding on to that in a person's life might make a bit of a difference. If you're still not convinced, consider what happened on that day, seven weeks after Jesus had died. Just seven weeks after Jesus' approval rating was so low that he was given a criminal's execution on a cross. Seven weeks later, Peter stands up, gives this sermon, and 3,000 people confess undying faith in him. Something truly incredible. And there's only one explanation for what happened. Peter had unleashed the power of forgiveness. As we look at those words today, we're going to see how God unleashes that very same power of forgiveness in our lives in two ways. First of all, he uses his word to make us aware of our need for it. And then secondly, he uses his word to convince us that we have it. Like I said before, we're picking up right where we left off last week. Peter is in the middle of this sermon on the day of Pentecost, and here is what he says. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So Peter is in this section of his sermon where he is talking about how God has given his full endorsement to Jesus as the Messiah. And it started with his resurrection on Easter Sunday, but then it continued with his ascension, with his exaltation up to heaven 40 days later when he was seated at the right hand of God and given all power. And then finally, as as one sort of cherry on top of it all, Jesus was given the power and the privilege to pour out the Holy Spirit on the church that he had left behind on earth. God had given his full endorsement to Jesus as the Messiah. And what that means, Peter goes on to say, is that anyone who opposes Jesus is fighting a losing battle. God endorses Jesus. You oppose Jesus. How do you think that's going to turn out? Peter says, Eventually, every enemy of Jesus will be made a footstool for him. Jesus will trample them. Jesus will crush them. And then Peter wraps up his sermon by saying this. Let all Israel be assured of this. 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So let me sum this all up for you, Peter says. God has given his full endorsement to Jesus, and as a result, every enemy of Jesus will one day be licking the dust off of his feet, and you, you crucified him. That's the first part of the explanation for what happened that day. It's no wonder that upon hearing those words, we're told, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So a sharp surgical knife slicing someone wide open and exposing the awful problem that lies within. Doesn't sound very fun, does it? And yet, just like on the day of Pentecost, it's something that is absolutely necessary for us. And in fact, as we talked about last week, our need for forgiveness is really no different from theirs. And our sin is really no different from theirs. In fact, every single sin that we commit can be described in the way that Peter describes it. That we look at the one that God has endorsed as Lord and Messiah, and we oppose him. We stand against him. For example, why is it so bad to base your joy, your satisfaction, your contentment in life on things like success and power and popularity? Why is it so bad to hunger and thirst for the things that this world calls satisfying? Well, it's because Jesus, whom God has endorsed, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Why is it so bad to pick out a behavior, conclude that that behavior, that course of action, doesn't harm anybody else and in fact makes us very, very happy, assume that God's number one goal for our lives is for us to be happy and therefore we can go ahead and do it. Why is that so bad? Well, it's because Jesus whom God has endorsed as Lord and Messiah, said, if you love me, you will obey, not your desires, you will obey my commands. Why is it so bad to have a proud and self-righteous spirit? Why is it so bad to constantly be patting yourself on the back and to find your worth and your acceptance and how good of a person you are? Well, it's because Jesus said, whoever humbles himself will be exalted, but whoever exalts himself will be humbled. We could go on and on and on all day, and God's word could just keep cutting us up and slicing us open and exposing that awful problem that lies within. But enough is enough. What should we do? Let me try it again. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. But as soon as we realize our need for forgiveness, there's kind of that, that second problem, isn't it? I mean, here we are, lying on the, on the surgeon's table, cut wide open by God's word, and that's God's answer. Nothing overly flashy, nothing overly fancy, just a fellow Christian standing in front of you, looking you in the eye, and telling you that you're forgiven. 
I have to believe that the crowds of people who were there on the day of Pentecost wanted to hear something a little bit more than that. And yet here's exactly what Peter said. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I mean, here forgiveness is the answer to our greatest need. It is God's decree that the charges have been dropped, that the sentence has been lifted, that the prison door is wide open and we are free. And yet now God brings that to us in the simple words of another Christian and in the waters of holy baptism. You'd think he'd do something a little bit different, that maybe he would, he would just shout down from heaven himself, you are forgiven. Or that maybe Jesus would show up right by our side, quickly wrap his arms around us and whisper in our ears, you are forgiven. You'd think there'd be some lightning bolts or some crashes of thunder, but no, just the simple words of another Christian and the waters of holy baptism. And friends, that doesn't give us less assurance of our forgiveness. It actually gives us much more. Think what I mean. We live in a, a day and age when everything is oversold and overhyped, right? Company wants you to buy a product. Band wants you to listen to their music. A candidate wants you to give them your vote, and they need to sell you on it. And so they will spend hundreds and thousands and sometimes millions of dollars to do that very thing. They will use fancy ads and slick marketing campaigns all to sell you. And there's a very simple reason for that. It's because in each of those cases, something is up for debate. Do you need the product or do you not? Is the music good or is it not? Does the candidate deserve your vote or do they not? In each case, something is up for debate. But do you know what is not up for debate? You are forgiven. That's what Peter's sermon was all about. God himself has given his endorsement that everything Jesus did as our Savior is, in fact, complete. I had to laugh a little bit a couple of weeks ago as we took a family trip to Chicago. And as I'm sure you know, any trip on the Illinois State Highway System is a good reason to empty the family change jar a little bit, right? And so we come up on one of these tollways, and the fee is something like $1.75. And so I, I hand the person that $1.75 in a fistful of change. And what struck me is that he actually sat there, sifted through it, and counted up every last nickel before he would press the button that lifts the barricade so that we could go. And I, I get it. In fact, I'm probably even glad that they take the time to do that. But in the grand scheme of things, would it have mattered if instead of giving $1.75, I instead gave $1.63? Probably not. The reality is that the payment that God needed for us was infinitely higher. And the reality is that if the payment Jesus made on Good Friday was even one penny short, let's say God needed a billion and Jesus gave 999,999,999.99 cents, our eternity in hell would be sealed. But Easter makes it very clear that the payment Jesus made was enough. Easter makes it very clear that one thing is not in dispute. You are forgiven. And that's why Jesus can bring that message to us in the simple words of another Christian 
and in the waters of baptism. Not in anything flashy, not in anything fancy, because nothing is up for debate. That's why Jesus decides to use that power he has been given, the power and privilege to pour out the Holy Spirit on the church that he has left on earth in such simple and certain ways, so that you can know with absolute certainty that because those simple and certain things have happened to you, you are forgiven. I have to confess that whenever we pastors read this story of Pentecost, we have one immediate reaction that pops into our heads. One day, one sermon, 3,000 people came to faith. How do I do that? And for us pastors, there is a temptation in pursuit of that question, in answer to that question, to think that something needs to be added to forgiveness. That if I just say exactly the right thing or say it in exactly the right way, if I just flash a winning smile or have a charming personality, then suddenly next Sunday, half of Mount Horeb is going to show up here at church. Nothing needs to be added to forgiveness. In fact, it's forgiveness that does the adding. The power of forgiveness that was unleashed on the day of Pentecost is what is responsible for 3,000 people coming to faith. And so it is my great privilege to unleash that same power in your hearts and lives each and every week. How? You are forgiven. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.